There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. It is the Ringer F1 Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined today by Matthew Summerfield, tech editor at Motorsport Magazine. We're going to go through the cars. A lot of people have been asking for this type of episode for a long time. Um, we're going to go through the tech upgrades, what these cars look like, why some concepts are working, why they aren't, why the gap with Red Bull is so huge, and who and when could it be closed. Let's get to Matthew. All right, Matthew Summerfield makes his triumphant return. He's the technical editor for Motorsport. One of the first guests in the history of this show way back in March, April of last year. He is I'm he's one of the smartest people about cars anywhere, and we're so happy to have him. What's going on, buddy? Yeah, all good. Uh, an OG guest, as they would say. An OG guest. You're friends with Spanners. That's how you first got on my radar a couple of years ago. You are a friend of his pod. He'll be back on Sunday to recap Hungry. We miss him. Um, there's so much to get to this year, and there's so much to get to because the last time we talked, it was so early in the regulations, we didn't know what was going to happen. And we were talking about side pods, and we were talking about um, what could happen, and now we have a ton of data on what did happen. I want to start here because it's the big picture, and it's the news, but what can teams learn from what McLaren has just done um, from, a, from a leap standpoint? What did they do? And if you're trying to be the next McLaren, what do you do? Okay, I think there's probably two ways to attack that. And first of all, I think it's something that perhaps not a lot of more casual fans will understand or appreciate. And that's the way in which the teams have an allocation based upon what CFD and wind tunnel time that they have at their disposal. So where you finish in the championship and then you're that is reset halfway through the year, you have between 70% and 115% of, of, of a figure. Um, so Red Bull, 70% from last year, Williams, 115 and it's a 5% increment all the way between those uh, 
positions. So let's say McLaren, for argument's sake, as you just mentioned them, they have 90% of the time that's available. Now, In the internal. Yeah. Now, obviously, that is to try to enable the teams at the rear of the grid to be able to catch up with those at the front. And in this instance with McLaren, and we've already seen it with Aston Martin in many ways as well, with their leap forward, I think that has played a big part in how they've made that giant leap forward because they've suddenly got more available to them than the, the teams that are ahead of them. So even though those teams ahead of them have probably got the infrastructure in place to be able to beat outright their rivals... There's this handicapping system that also plays a part. Um, but in terms of what McLaren have actually just done, it's essentially a, a new aerodynamic uh, platform for the car. Pretty much every single surface on the car has been changed uh, and they've moved more towards what you would see on the Aston Martin in terms of the side pods. And that obviously has a massive bearing on other structures on the car, like the underfloor, front wing, rear wing, and how all of those interact. And that's the key to these things. One thing doesn't just suddenly make the car come alive. You have to have everything working together in harmony. Uh, I have a, 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 maybe it's a dumb question. So we talk so much about the cost cap and whether or not that's hurting parity within, within F1 and, oh, you can't spend $100 million to catch Red Bull, et cetera, et cetera. If there was unlimited wind tunnel time, would that help the smaller teams? Uh, just to figure something out or because the, the budgets are so high and the wind tunnels are so good, it would just be Merck, Red Bull, Ferrari figuring it out at the top. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what we had in the past. Now, right. prior to the handicapping system, it was basically unlimited budget. And the likes of your Williams and uh, Saubers back in the day, you know, that, that those sort of teams just couldn't keep up with the big boys in terms of the infrastructure that they got, the personnel that they had at their disposal. And obviously then that just leaps back into, into your R&D program and your ability to be able to make the car go quicker. With McLaren, is this sustainable or is this the kind of thing where other teams are going to figure it out and then uh, a Ferrari will, will make the same leap in a couple of weeks? Like, is this, if you're a betting man, you think Ferrari will be doing what relative to the pack in six weeks? Well, I think the, the big thing to think about with the McLaren upgrade is this is a substantial package that has taken months right. to, to put on the car. You know, we're talking about them making maybe a U-turn in their development pathway at the start of the season. And this is how long it's taken them to get something onto the car because it's such a big package of parts. Uh, Ferrari obviously made an upgrade a few races ago with their side pods. We've seen uh, Mercedes switch from the zero pod to, to something a little bit different as well. Um, these are big conceptual changes and they take a long time to implement because of the way in which uh, it's difficult for teams to make that kind of switch. You know, it, it, you can't just turn it on or off. It might just appear, oh, this looks good, but in, it has to add up in the, the CFD and wind tunnel results as well. And sometimes there's sort of a crossover between what the wind tunnel shows or the CFD shows and what actually works in the real world as well. So there is that to take into account. Uh, but Big leaps don't come along very often like what we've seen from McLaren. It's impossible. And Spanish talked about it a couple of weeks ago where I think Jensen Button said it afterwards that the McLaren leap felt like what Jensen Button called an old school leap where you would just jump half a second in, in two weeks. And, you know, that was, you're talking about the 80s back then when teams would just run cars for multiple years and, they, you know, they, it was, oh, why don't we put tires this time? Uh, why don't we put four tires on it this time, right? Um, and so it just it just felt, so different. Um, let's talk about the team that they're trying to chase or close the gap on, whatever you want to call it. It's not going to happen, but conceptually, uh, in theory, they're trying to close the gap on its Red Bull. Uh, a bunch of people have asked me this question. And I can only paint in, in broad strokes. I know a lot about the inner workings 
of Red Bull and and how they got to where they are. But from a car perspective, you know so much more than me on the actual specifics of it. Um, If you were to point to and get as geeky as as you want, um, if you were to point to why Red Bull, this car is this dominant, you start where? Well, the obvious answer is look for the low-hanging fruit in the regulations. And I think that's what Red Bull started off with. You know, they looked at the underfloor because that is the dominant factor of where you produce the downforce on these cars. But interlinked to that is how the side pods create a link to them aerodynamically. And then you also have to connect that with front and rear wing and everything else that's going on. And I think... Everybody is always looking for a silver bullet when it comes to Formula One. Everybody thinks, oh, it's just one particular thing that can completely revolutionise a team's performance. And unfortunately, it's not always the case. It's more of a case of if you take 5% from here and 5% from here, those for five, those 5% start to add up and you suddenly get to a position where you've got a Red Bull car. Like mm-hmm. the leap that we've just seen from McLaren, as I mentioned, it's a huge package of parts uh, and that isn't traditionally what we've seen under this current set of regulations teams tend to drip feed things in because they want things to uh, they want they don't want to disrupt disrupt everything all at once and and then have to make a you know they make another upgrade a little bit further down the line and everything then starts to tie in like a daisy chain whereas McLaren didn't do that they just threw everything all at once at the thing we hadn't seen anything from them substantially since the start of the season uh, and that is the way that they've approached it. Other teams don't do that. We, we we see the drip feed scenario. But yeah, from a Red Bull point of view, it's just a case of nailing every single compartment on the car uh, and getting it right where others have perhaps failed to do so. Adrian Newey, overrated, underrated, properly rated. Like it, everybody, including me, I read his book. I talk about him all the time. I, I say, oh, it's Newey, it's Newey, it's Newey. Is it? All Newey, or is it? I mean, if Newey went to Williams tomorrow, would that would that be any in any way meaningful over the next two years? Like, just take me through his influence as the best car designer in history and what that actually means. Because to me, like my day job is is NFL football, and there's a bunch of guys who run the same playbook as Andy Reid or even Bill Belichick on the defensive side or Nick Sirianni or who, whoever it may be, Kyle Shanahan, and they don't have the parts to do it, they don't have the personnel to do it, and it doesn't get implemented. So take me through the actual influence of of Adrian Newey and and how much he matters when we when we're explaining it to our friend at a bar. Yeah, I mean I think that's a great analogy using other sports. Um because although Adrian's reach is obviously very significant, he's just a cog in a machine. Um a, a very good cog that that might well be. Uh, but he he isn't the be all and end all of the scenario. It, there's a huge amount of engineers at Red Bull that have achieved this particular result with this car and last year's car and will continue to do so in the future. Uh, But they've just got things right. This is the thing with a set of regulations. We've seen it many times in the past and it becomes compounding down down the years. Like Mercedes dominance, for argument's sake, or Red Bulls uh, through the, the sort of 2010 onwards. You get to a stage where because you've locked in, adva- in an advantage early, like Mercedes did with their power unit, for argument's sake, you end up compounding that downtime where teams struggle to catch up. Now, obviously, I talked about the handicapping system earlier on that's designed to try to prevent that from happening. Uh, But in terms of Adrian, obviously he's got a huge amount of experience and certainly in ground effect as well. You know, that's one of the the major contributors that he can bring to the table because he's worked on cars that have been through that era previously. Uh, And also 
when he worked in IndyCar as well, uh, which uh, doesn't come up as often as obviously his Formula One success. Uh, but as I mentioned, I think it would be unfair to the other people at Red Bull to say that this is just Adrian Newey. Obviously, he is the, the the man that everybody will associate with the success because he's the, the the face that you see in the paddock. But there's a lot of people there at the Red Bull factory that are obviously contributing a huge amount to that success. Yeah, the IndyCar thing is fascinating, and and Nui is is really close friends with Bobby Rahal. Um, I think Rahal was in having a glass of wine in Miami. I think I, I saw that when I was I was wandering around. Um, he just lived a very interesting life, and he's really into like sailing and all of this stuff. And I was listening to somebody recently uh, talking about Newey, and they were saying that one of the reasons Red Bull gets to keep him is because they let him do whatever he wants. Like he picks up a pencil when he wants and he goes and he does some weird hobby horse when he wants. And like, I think maybe other teams would say, Hey Adrian, how about, how about a nine to five? A little better. Yeah, no, nah, I'd rather, I'd rather, uh, I'd rather go do this. Um, all right. So you mentioned this about the low hanging fruit and I'm intrigued Let's let's go back to Newey here for a second. Uh, I believe in the forward to 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 his book, he says he looks at all the regulations. He looks at what the rules say. Most importantly, he looks at what they don't say, um, and then he starts poking holes in them. Uh, you had a piece a couple weeks ago about kind of uh, where where teams have started to find this. Uh, the whether you call them loopholes or just like okay, this is the differentiating factor between fa- fast and slow, um, an upgrade and not an upgrade. Um, they're they're finding them where Summers. Okay, so I wouldn't per se call them loopholes. Loopholes to me are things like F ducks and you know DAS and the big contributing innovations right. that we've had to Formula One in the past. Th- things they, that get ba- things that get banned very quickly. Yeah, yeah. These are more nuggets of uh, of tech where basically uh, you would almost think that there's a skunkworks team working within the team to find and break the the regulations down to find attributes within the car design that can unlock performance. But on top of that, you also have to look at historically where teams have have found performance as well. So if we take Mercedes, for example, they've always been what I would consider to be uh, very active on front wing design and certainly on creating outwash, which these regulations tries to prevent because obviously it harms the racing from a wake turbulence point of view. However, what Mercedes did with the, the regulations is found a way to semi-detach the flaps from the end plate, a very intricate sort of design, something that the rules really weren't designed to, to allow for, but they found a way around it. The FIA subsequently tried to ban it for this year, and they've still found another way around it again. And now other teams are starting to prod and poke at that particular area of the car because they've seen what Mercedes have done. And obviously they can then run the numbers in their own tunnels and CFD, and they can try to find performance there. And that's kind of where we are with Formula One. You, you know, one team will sort of bend the rules in a certain perspective, front wings, rear wing end plates, this sort of thing. And then you start to see other teams say, ah, we can interpret that in a slightly different way and find our own level of performance from it. And that's where you tend to find these breakout kind of areas in, in, in design. But fundamentally, they also hurt the racing because they tend to be uh, areas that will create turbulence. Uh, and I think we're starting to see that already under these regulations uh, and something that the FIA might indeed try to step in to prevent. Who's the best team of finding? Is, is it Red Bull at, at being able to find sort of what, what separates it? I mean, yeah, fundamentally, they, they, they find nuggets. Mercedes have been very good at that in in their history as well. In fact, some of the the lesser teams or the lesser funded teams are, tend to be the ones that find these 
particular areas of innovation because they they need to find something that differentiates them in performance from their rivals in the back end of the pack. So you tend to find teams like Williams, Haas, Alfa Romeo, used to be Sauber, still is kind of. <laughs> um, and what was Force India, obviously now Aston Martin, have always been very good at finding cost-effective ways of creating performance. And what I mean by that is that fundamentally there might be not be the most efficient way of doing something, but they 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 cut through the, the rubbish and, and, and get a job done for them. So uh, that's where we tend to find it. And then you tend to see other teams picking up on it and, and running with it and probably doing a better job in all, all respects. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall, chosen by champions. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Mobile One. The Mobile One brand knows podcasts are a great escape. You can listen to people talking about living and maybe even driving, but of course, there's no substitute for the real thing. So the next time you're looking for an escape, try an actual escape. Take this podcast for a ride in the car and immerse yourself in the drive, because sometimes the best way to escape reality is to truly live in it. Mobile One, for the love of driving. Visit loveofdriving.us slash the ringer to learn more. All right, so I remember when I think it was in high school, and Tiger Woods was not winning tournaments, but he would say all the time, I'm so close. I'm so close. My swing is getting locked in. I'm so close. He actually ended up being right, but it ended up becoming a running joke in, in golf or sports in general that Tiger would always say he was so, so close, just, just a couple inches away. And it felt like for a while, Mercedes was on that track. And Toto would say they made one decision that set them back 18 months. And I, I guess, I guess the 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 discourse around that from Mercedes has changed a little bit. The expectations have always been tempered. They've always sandbagged, um, especially in preseason testing. And so we have no idea how close they actually are. I feel like um, maybe the car was so bad for a while that they were putting kind of a brave face on it. I don't know. It's hard for me to, to I've never seen Toto and Lewis at the helm of such a, a, a bad car. So it's hard for me to sort of parse all of this. So I guess the question is knowing what you know about the cars, how close is Mercedes to 
winning a race to being to contenders? And 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 what is the process of kind of fixing the mistakes they made uh, at the beginning of last year? Okay, so I think what we'll tend to find throughout the course of the rest of this season, and I, I, I'm not just talking about Mercedes here, but I'm talking about uh, many of the other teams as well, is we'll we'll see teams utilising their development on areas of the car that they feel that they will make improvement on next year's car. Mm. So fundamentally, you'll have shut off development at this point, not completely for this year's car, but you're trying to learn as much as you can on how that will carry across to next year's machine. For Mercedes, they've made some fundamental issues with the car. We, we know about what Lewis has said about his cockpit position, and that is based upon their zero-pod concepts because of the way the, the dimensions in the regulations work. So in order to fix their problems, it's a new chassis, and you can't do that under a cost-cap era in the same year. So we, we can't have that this year. So next year, they will make that shift. Uh, but they have to learn this year how things work alongside those problems and try to fix everything before they get to the W15. And, and you'll see that with other teams as well. Uh, they will obviously increase their performance from now to the end of the season in terms of development. But I think you, what you will see more predominantly is them using the this year's car as a test bed for next year. So if... You- I, I I don't want to I don't want to just put it to you because it's a depressing question. But given what you just said, is anyone going to win a race but Red Bull this year? And it, it's a difficult one to to swallow, isn't it? To yeah, be I'd say. Honest. Um, I mean, looking at the performance differential, no is the answer. Uh, you, you need other outside factors to become involved. You know, you need a, a failure, you need yeah, a crash, you, you need yeah. weather, weather, you need something that is going to prevent the the RB19 in, in the hands of more likely Verstappen from having uh, a result that is doesn't look on the cards. Uh, unfortunately, they, they do seem to have quite a pace advantage. The only thing that I will add to this is that at Silverstone we had a new specification of tyre arrive from Pirelli um, and that will have some impact both from a performance point of view from the tyre in terms of how it operates but also from an aerodynamic point of view and you'll start to see teams reacting to that throughout the course of the rest of this season because of those changes but it's not enough to make up the difference but it will have an effect and mean that the teams have to make some alterations. Oh, brother. Um, Ferrari, under new management. And when I was in Miami, they asked Leclerc about about Big Fred. And he basically said, like, he was just... When you come into an F1 team, you can't just come in and just start ripping out parts of the car and just say, no, no, no. You can't be like a plumber and saying, no, 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 no. The last guy had no idea what he was doing. You can't do that. He was observing for months, months at a time, figuring out who was responsible for what. And he knew, obviously, had familiarity with some personnel on the team. But... It's not like you come in and start making changes. We start to see now what this looks like. He started to make changes around May. You've written about some of the tech stuff. Ferrari is where right now? Is there a possibility they close the gap? Are you encouraged by by this this new regime from a from a tech perspective, from an upgrades perspective, from a management perspective? Yeah, I mean it's it's not reactionary as you say. That unfortunately with um, Ferrari over the years they've very much been like a soccer team uh, in as much as that. If the management isn't doing their job, they tend to get rid of them very quickly. Um, and that can't always be good. 
it t- doesn't work with soccer teams because it's a failure point. Uh, you, you know, you're changing your tactics every 10 minutes. Nobody's going to really react to that very well. Uh, and I think what Fred has done is come in and added some stability to the core of the team and tried to reorganise without really moving all the tables around in the kitchen too much. Uh, just trying to get the best out of each department. Uh, and that is probably the way to go forward. In terms of from a tech point of view, obviously they have made a change in terms of their side pods. It isn't a full-blown version of what the other teams have done. So they're still harboring some of their own design DNA within there. Uh, so you know they, they are still treading their own path in many ways, as all the teams are from from an individual perspective. Uh, but I, I do think they, they do, they, they do, they've done the right things. Uh, the big thing for Ferrari, from my point of view, going back to what I've just mentioned, is tyres. They were mm. really poor on them last year uh, and they, they've kind of got there this year and I think that is sort of re- reflected in results. But they've still got some way to go. Hmm. If you had to guess which team makes a bigger leap quicker, would you back Mercedes or Ferrari? Historically, from a technical standpoint, I would back Mercedes, uh, just purely on their grit uh, to to find the right results. Um, Ferrari tend to take more baby steps in their approach, uh, which adds up over time, but it is a less, less aggressive approach in terms of the way that they go about upgrading their car. Ferrari have always been very good at the start of a technical regulation set. Uh, if you look back at the last few major changes that we've had they've always done very well in the first year or year or so mm. but they tend to struggle when it comes then to improving upon that uh, they just don't appear to be as dynamic as, as some of the other teams and i think that has perhaps hurt them over the last few regulation sets whether they can change those things with fred at the helm we'll, we'll have to wait to see you know my next question i sent you was uh, predictions rest of the way but we already established that nobody else is going to win a race for the rest of the year. So I don't even know if I should put this question to you. I will, I will, I will change it, which is that tell me another team that has the possibility of making, not, I'm, not a McLaren likely, but we had Aston. It's almost like, uh, it's, I don't, I'm probably going to get over my skis here because I'd never really watched a sport. It reminds me a little bit of the Tour de France where like someone will go out in front just to like wait. I don't know. I was remember watching one day and like, it's like, oh, this guy just wants to go in front to like wave hi to his village and then he'll move back and then Lance Armstrong will go, you know, whatever. Um, and it seems like we had Aston obviously make that leap. We had M- McLaren obviously most recently. And, you know, Spanners has talked about this where, Obviously, like Williams and Alpha can't just go to the beginning of the pack, but teams can over short spurts sell out and and look better over a couple of weeks. Not necessarily, not necessarily sustainable, but you can do it if you're looking for sponsors. If you if, you know, especially obviously, we know about testing and all that stuff. Is there another team that we haven't talked about where it's like, okay, this team actually has a little bit of potential this year or even next year? I mean, the, the the team that would probably make the biggest leap forward, but it's not going to ever re- be uh, advantageous to them, would be AlphaTauri because their Ooh. car this year has been quite poor, let's put it that way, uh, from a, a results point of view. So they're, they're right down the back of the pack. That means, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, they'll get more resources at their disposal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they could make a big leap forward, but it's not going to be big enough to, to vault them to the front. Uh, what you really need is somebody to come out of the middle of the pack, 
they're the they're the sort of teams that really make the big leaps forward. We saw it with Alfa Romeo last year because of the what I've mentioned with the resources. We saw it with Aston Martin at the start of this year. We've now seen it with McLaren, uh, and so you know those have all come from the midfield pack. So they're the sort of teams that you would expect to make a big leap. Now, that sort of resets next season when we get back to a new chassis. This is the big problem that many of the teams face because of the cost cap and the way the resource restrictions work. You can't make a big B-spec sort of change that you did in the past where you bring a new chassis and change the entire structure of the car. So, yeah, I would expect Mercedes to maybe make a big leap next year, having shifted completely away from the zero pod concept. Uh, but they would probably be my big shouts from the front end of the pack. And then I'd probably go for somebody like Williams from the back mm. end of the pack, purely because they have spent so much time down that back end of the pack and they've had a huge reshuffle with James Vales being involved. Mm-hmm. And I think they've started to reinvest in infrastructure. They're so far behind in that respect. Uh, I think the rules might need to be changed to help those kind of teams in the future to to raise themselves back up the pack. But those would be my shouts, Merck and, and Williams, but obviously for very different reasons. I was going to ask, without nerfing anything Red Bull does, or maybe if, if you think something they're doing isn't right, that's fine. But if if you could wave a wand and implement a rule change that would help get the pack back to normalcy, I guess it's never normal because there's always the car running away with it, but get, get the pack back to, you know, car one through car 20 is pretty, is, is significantly more bunched up. What would their rule change be? I mean, the obvious answer is always going to be spec everything, isn't it? You know, that that's the way to go if mm. you want a close racing pack, but that isn't Formula One. No. Formula One is an engineering-led uh, sport. And so for me, I, I quite enjoy the fact that, you know, you've got the likes of Red Bull away at the front and everybody's got to chase them effectively. Um, if I was to wave my magic wand, I think you would probably have to reconsider how the handicapping system works, how you allocate what, can be done in terms of infrastructure for teams like Williams that have spent a long time without money being spent. And that's where Aston Martin have unlocked a lot of their performance that I'll add is because they have spent money on on infrastructure to be able to make that leap. McLaren have a new wind tunnel coming online next year. uh, But again, the rules prevent them from actually bringing it on this season if they were ready for it. And so those sorts of that sort of area of the rules is where I would take a look to try to increase the parity um, because changing the regulations is never the answer. Mm. All that does is create field spread. Uh, and unfortunately, Formula One always seems to do a, a rule change at exactly the wrong time. If you look back at the end of 2020, <laughs> if, uh, if you look back at the end of 2020, the, the, the racing was exceptional. Yeah. And it was because all of the teams were concentrating on next year's car, obviously, which was a big leap forward in terms of the regs. But, you know, the, the, the whole reason that we were in that state is because everybody had got to a point where the cars were pretty much on terms with one another. Hmm, that's interesting. So either don't change regulations or I guess, conversely, if you change the regulations every year, you might also have some sort of, uh, some sort of, sort of uneasy, uh, I guess you could, a, a balance, more of a balance. Yeah, you've got a you've got a needle at them basically, and just say, well, we're just going to cut this dimension off slightly, and we're going to do this to the rear wing or the front wing, and we're just going to take this away, this aerodynamic crutch that you've created away from you, and it makes you rethink about every aero structure down down the car, uh, and that, in my opinion, might be the the, the route forward. 
rather than saying, oh, here's a massive rule change. Uh, and it just completely resets the grid again. Um, all right. I, maybe it, it, this might take 15 minutes to explain, but hopefully not. Um, why didn't, Mer- and I've never seen a concise explanation for this. I, I think it has something to do with engine cooling, but I, I'm going to throw it to you and you can, you can lob it back at me. So Mercedes original sin was their side pod concept, which basically means their car was more narrow than any other car um, in layman's terms. It didn't work. Why? It didn't work. Why? Because of the way that the side pods interact with the floor. Uh, there's aerodynamic structures that are created together with, uh, the interlink, but also from a flexion point of view, because if you look inside the the side pods of the the Mercedes now that they have a wider side pod, they're able to they're able to anchor the floor to the the, the main frame of the car more effectively than they were with the zero pod, uh, because they're, they're able to disguise internal anchorage, uh, which is something that Red Bull did from the very start. So that's primarily why it didn't work. I understand that why they did it. You know, at the end of the day, they they pushed a concept all the way throughout the hybrid era, where they basically pushed their radiators further and further inside the chassis uh, that allowed this very very narrow car. So you would continue that if obviously you felt it was going to add performance. But unfortunately, under these regulations, it just didn't fit the bill, uh, and and obviously caught them out. Wow. Um, all right. Big question. You already sort of hinted at it, but I'm going to give you the big picture question anyway. Next Red Bull team to win a championship could be driver, could be constructor. And when that's the most important thing is the when, because I think there's a lot of people, obviously there's Tifosi fans who want to see Ferrari win next, whatever. But like, I think anybody's begging for an actual title chase in 2024 or, you know, maybe 2025 if we're generous. I think the, the, the fear is that until regulations change um, and there's wholesale uh, switch outs of, of parts and engines and all that stuff that we won't see anything competitive. Like, what's the timeline for competition and when it does happen, who's the next team to win something? Okay. I, I would honestly say 2025 last, last uh, throw of the dice before the regulations are changed again, unfortunately. Um, but I, do, <laughs> I, I, I think those will get delayed. It's happened for the last sort of five major regulation changes where we've had regulations delayed by a year. You know, we, COVID obviously uh, caused the, the last major set to get pushed back, but, 2014 was supposed to be 2013, 2009 was supposed to be 2008. So I think we'll probably, due to politics within the sport, we'll get shifted back one year. Politics and F1 doesn't sound like them. (laughs) Uh, But to answer your question in terms of who I think will be the next um, constructors champion, I'm not going drivers champion because that's (laughs) something there, isn't it? I I would honestly be... uh, on the side of Mercedes, just purely because mm-hmm. of the the historical uh, dominance that, that that they've had through the hybrid era. But mm-hmm. again, it is going to be a huge amount of factors that that come into play. One of them being tires, because of the tire warmer ban that's coming up. One of them being the tire maybe switching from Pirelli to Bridgestone in 2025 if they win the tender over Pirelli. And then obviously we've got the regulation reset in 2026. So there's a huge amount in the future that could possibly have a bearing on on where these things go. Follow him at, at Summers F1 S O M E R S F1. Uh, he's probably got to get to a golf game somewhere. Is that right? <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> probably. Grind, uh, grinding on the driving grinding. range. Grinding. He's off to the driving range. I uh, snapped my seven iron and half at Montauk Downs on just a normal rough shot. Just a normal rough shot. My swing speed is just 
that strong. So I am temporarily retired from golf. I will live vicariously through you summers. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.